Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, media strategist, and health coach helping you live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield. And I am so thrilled to be sharing this conversation I had with Connie Rao, who is the principal of Asha Deep School in Varanasi, India. Asha Deep is a school specifically for underprivileged children whose parents, whose family members have never gotten the opportunity to go to school. She is just so brilliant at what she does. And I really wanted to share that with you. So Connie gets into talking about the school itself and its mission and its vision, and also about her own story and how she ended up in Varanasi and doing this specific work. One thing that I am so grateful for is that I have been to her school a number of times. I think I've been there three times. It's located right on the Ganges River. And I've gotten to see these children who are like beams of light. On a couple of occasions, I've gotten to serve them lunch. It was just such a joy and a privilege to spend time with them. And she really gets into talking about what their vision is for their students and how their students are succeeding in the world and how they view the educational experience. And you can really see that reflected in these kids. So please stay all the way till the end as well, because she shares information about how you can connect if you're ever in Varanasi when the pandemic is over. They do actually accept volunteers. You can check out more and, and learn more from her direction there at the end of the segment. I also wanted to let you know that this podcast was done over Zoom, so the quality may not be at the same level. Of course, Connie is in India, so there may be some ambient noises. We tried to record it early in the morning for her, but India is India. So if you hear some background noise, that's why. Also, just another note that this podcast was recorded before the recent COVID spikes. So when Connie is talking about what is going on in Varanasi, that is in reference to about a month ago. So things have changed a lot. And unfortunately, the cases of COVID have gone way, way up in India. And from what I'm hearing from my friends who live there, it's really been scary and it's worse than it ever has been. So my prayers are with everybody in India in general and Varanasi in particular, and hoping that everything continues to get better. I hope that you enjoy this podcast. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today, Connie. We haven't seen you in a little while, but you're over in India. It's early in the morning. I'm in America in Maine and it's at night. (laughs) We're crossing... (laughs) The, the night to each other. It's really nice to see you again. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yeah. So how is it there? You know, the with the pandemic going on, there's not very many tourists, I'm assuming. It's been very quiet. Yeah, definitely. The borders have been closed to tourists for several months now. So there are a few foreigners like me that have just faded out here. But cities like ours that really depend on tourism are hurting. I'm sure there aren't very many tourists. We had a complete lockdown from March to June, 
really complete meant people stayed in their houses. There would be maybe one person that would go out once a day, maybe to get um, vegetables or something. But really, there was no traffic on the roads. Everything was closed. Uh, but since then, things have slowly started picking back up gradually. So now almost everything's open. Uh, restaurants are open, gyms, everything's open except schools, primary schools up to eighth grade are not open. But that's about the last thing left. Well, so that is, you know, because you are running a school that's very pertinent to our conversation. So about your school and how you're adapting during this time. It was interesting because this lockdown was announced suddenly. We have a big public performance every year around March, around holy time. And we had all of our preparations for that in February, mostly last year. And we put on the performance, uh, I think it was 8th March last year. And then we would have normally had a week off for holy vacation. So we had that. And then the next week, the government announced that schools had to stay closed. So it wasn't the lockdown, but schools were ordered closed. So we had another week and then they ordered the, the lockdown and and then it's been closed since then. We kind of, Our very last day of all being together was this massive program that we had or performances, dances and plays and whatnot out on um, a sea cot you know, on the riverside here or near the Ganges River. So and then we we never saw each other after that. So it's very strange. No one expected, of course, that we would be closed. And even after we closed, we never expected to be closed this long. Initially, we tried to have some online classes after the strict lockdown started opening. Then we tried to have online classes, especially for our older kids. My school is a K to eight school for the main criteria is that they're Children's parents are undereducated. So many of them are illiterate. They haven't had any education. And some of them had a few years, like maybe up to fifth class at the most. Most of them don't have smartphones. That's a huge hurdle right there. And, and then even ones who do have smartphones paying for the data, it was a lot for them to afford data enough to really have like, you know, 40-minute classes or even half-an-hour classes if you're going to have. So we tried just with our older kids. About half of the, their families had smartphones, and we paid for the data for them. But And it went okay. The kids, about half the kids came. Some of the kids had phones. Some of the kids went to a friend's house to attend the classes. And that went along all right, until the um, until the virus actually got to our city and when it or our area, I really should say, and when it started going through our particular community, then the parents of the kids said, "No, we don't want you to go to your friends' houses. You need to stay home." So, so then even those online classes closed. So that was probably ran from June to August or so. And then we had to close it. And since then, we haven't had any instruction at all for any of our kids. At the end of the year here, it's a huge holiday season. We have starting in mid-October, we have Dashera and then Diwali and Dalachat and others also in between. And then this year, there was a massive 
Hindu weddings happen at certain times of year. You can't just have a wedding any day. So there was a wedding season of two or three weeks in December. It was so busy this year because all the summer weddings that had been put off happened in this short time. And so there all these weddings. So families were going to weddings. My real point is that it would have been hard to open any kind of, have any kind of consistent education in between October and December because families were gone or celebrating. Well, anyway, now that all that's over, we're now planning to start a system of having like homework packets, giving homework packets to the kids once a week and have them do it at home and come back the next week to get the next packet. So after a long time of really no, almost no education, Brooks finally ready to start. That's a lot, you know, <laughs> navigate all that. And I just want to say for context, I've been to your school, I think twice now. And like when everything was running as it should be, the joy and the, the beauty of how your school works. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that, like give us a perspective of what it looks like when it's working and what the goals are of the school. Ashadeep opened in 2004. At that time, we had about 18 kids. And just slowly over the years, we we grew by adding a class a year. So our oldest class just moved up one class and we took admissions into like kindergarten. So we slowly, slowly grew. And the difference, our school is very, very different from other local schools here. It's really a family feeling school. And the, the, I think the best thing I've done as principal in that school is to hire a good group of teachers that really care about the kids. This is a, a huge contrast, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> with most of the other schools around here of teachers just putting material up on the board and telling the kids to go home and learn it. Um, Here, the teachers are really explaining, really caring and understanding the home situations of our kids because they're coming from difficult situations. They live in a slum. So there may have been a fight in the family the night before. They may not have had enough food, but our teachers kind of understand those situations. And there's a lot of love and concern in the school. And we teach our kids also to, you know, be caring of each other. So the kids are very happy to come there. The girls, especially, they have more freedom, I think, in our school than they do in the community. So they can open up and express themselves and play and be have a childhood, I think, is part of what our school is all about. So yeah, you do get that feeling of just happiness. When I went out to the community a couple of weeks ago, one of the girls, little girls said to me, man, we used to wait and wait for Sundays and holidays, but now we're all waiting. When is school going to open? They really want to come back. Yeah. And so what brought you to Varanasi and to Ashadeep? I'm married to a guy who's half Indian and half American. His mom's American, his father's Indian. And so we were married in the U.S., but we had the idea that we were going to at least come to India for a while and see where we wanted to really settle. Anyway, it's because of him that we ended up here in India. And really, it was both of our choices, but he kind of wanted to be in Varanasi for various reasons. So that's why we ended up here. I didn't get involved in the school right away. That wasn't my intention. 
initially we had young kids. My son was one and a half when we came. My daughter was five. So the first few years spent mostly just being a mom and learning the language. And then, so we came to Bonaris in 1998 and a third, uh, like a mutual friend kind of heard another woman started the school. But then after about only a year, she decided to go to U.S. and get her Ph.D. And she was planning to close it down. But a mutual friend said, no, maybe we can keep it going till you come back. So that's when I was contacted and I joined then when it was still quite small. Like I said, there was only about 18 kids. So, I mean, in the end, she she did come back for visits, but she never returned to settle back here. So I ended up in charge of the school. One thing that's so beautiful about your leadership is you just see how much the kids respect and love you. And you are so good at what you do. Like you just have a presence. I, you know, I assumed that you've been in education for a long time. So is that not the case? Yeah, it's interesting. When I look back over my life, I actually got a, I have a master's degree in linguistics. I never had training in education actually, but when I look back, I realized that I plugged myself in, you know, into teaching situations, even in high school. I was teaching, you know, informally teaching. In my linguistics degree, it has a concentration in teaching English as a second language. So I was teaching in a college for like immigrant kids in the U.S. And so and there's there are several instances where I have been teaching, but I never had formal training in education but when they called me to like help keep this school running back in 2004 and I started working there, I just realized, wow, yeah, this job, if you want to call it that, it just fits me like a glove. Like these are all my strengths and I just I love what I do. And yeah, it was it's the right place for me. I ended up in the right place. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And in India, you know, this podcast is really about living in your purpose. But what I mean by that is like, you're doing your dharma, you know, so do you feel Mm -hmm. like you're really Oh, so strongly? Yeah, so strongly. I just feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and, and that's part of why, to be very honest, this pandemic, I've counted it almost as a blessing. And I know that it's been so hard for so many people. So I'm not I'm not saying that everyone needs to take it this way, but for me personally, because I feel like I just need to keep doing every day what comes in front of me, this pandemic, I just took it in a flow. I was getting a bit burnt out by the beginning of last year. And so this has been a nice time for me to be able to do some of the things that had you know, been put on the back burner, the organization and there's a lot of work in the school that I've gotten done because I didn't have all the busyness of the kids, but also just some relaxed time, time to think and reevaluate. So it's, it's been okay. So you were saying that reaffirmed for you that you're really doing your Dharma because you had time to think about it. Yeah. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I need to keep, keep doing it. Having a little bit of break from the community was good. Just to take that step back. But now in the last couple of months, I've been more out with the kids and everything and enjoying it. I'm back, you know, really want, wanting to get now back into classes and into being with all the kids all the time. I'm, I'm actually, I'm an introvert and you, you were at the school, you know, there's noise and 
people all the time. But now I've had so much time for introversion that I'm kind of ready for some of that again. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit more about the kids that attend the school? Like what are the major barriers for them? What has been hard for their families? And how do their families react now to them being in school? The parents aren't educated. And so that's a huge block for them. That and and they don't have very much money and they're not educated, so they can't work in skilled jobs. So they get paid little. And even if they manage to scrape together the money to send their kids to a school, the kids weren't able to keep up in those other schools because the parents couldn't help them with their homework. So that made a huge, you know, it was very hard for them to succeed in other schools. Having a school that's really designed just for kids in that category makes a big difference. Our school hours are longer, so we can give more instruction because we realize the kids aren't getting that, that instruction, which middle class and upper class kids will get at home. And we make sure that whatever homework that we give, the kids are able to do it by themselves. So just some attention to things like that. The parents are really happy with the school. It's not only the academics. Most of the parents really understand that education is very important. It's a life changer for their kids and also for their just whole families. So when they see, one of the things that really raised our respect in the eyes of the community was when our eighth graders, our first class of eighth graders graduated and went to a local high school. Then the parents were like, oh, those are our kids. Those are just like these slum kids. They're going to that school. And they kind of realized that if they have kids studying in our school, Ashadib, that they'll be able to get into a good school later. And so then they thought, oh yeah, that's, this is a good school. It was hard for them to judge the quality of the school before that because They had no way of knowing whether kids were really learning or not, but that told them. But besides the academic side of it, the other area, which I've heard so many compliments from the parents, has been the character of their kids. And that's another thing that I work so hard on is just trying to teach them those values, which, you know, just of being a civil human being, like caring for each other and how to work through conflict things like that. So when the kids are growing up into like decent human beings, the parents have been really happy. So can you give us some examples of how you've done that? Like what, what is the programming that helps? The main thing that comes to me is just the repetition of what I'm trying to teach and repetition, you know, don't hit, we don't need to hit, you know, like just, but you know, time and time again, the same kind of things I'm trying to, encourage the kids to be honest. But along with that, what what's really made the difference is this quality of grace, because there's not a lot of grace out in that community. A lot of the way the kids are treated is very haphazard. It's not consistent. Sometimes the kids have done something bad, but they're never caught. Or sometimes they haven't done something bad, but they're just whacked over the head for it, you know, before the parent understands, or maybe the parent never understood that it wasn't the kid's fault. But at the school, we we try to be consistent in discipline, but but also with that grace, like, okay, the kid made another mistake. 
All right, sit down and talk to him, but don't belittle him and don't shame him and don't tell him that he'll never, ever be able to be anybody good. You know, like continually to encourage, 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 encourage. You can do it. Let's try better next time. And these kind of messages over and over and over make a change. So have you had kids who've graduated from high school and gone on to higher education? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I don't know the exact number right now. I think we've had about 12 kids in college now. Our first graduating class from eighth grade was in 2012. So they would have graduated from 12 in 2016. Those kids have been in college. And last year was the first year that a few of them graduated. They had their bachelor's degrees. Four or five kids got their bachelor's degrees last year. And we have others, you know, coming along in the pipeline. We have one one student this year who's applying to go to university in the U.S. He's very bright. So let's see what happens. He would need a full scholarship, but I've been helping him through that process this year. Did you know that this podcast has been made possible by listener support? If you like what you're hearing and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash weave your bliss. There are lots of great gifts, including a weekly astrology update from me and a monthly live new moon circle. Thanks for your support. I was going to ask you how many of the students are, do they pay for school in some regard or do they get like uh-huh. scholarships? to your school as well are you talking about college no for your school do they all pay okay we charge a minimal fee yeah it's less than ten dollars a year in u.s money and the only reason we really started charging it was so that they would attend i found that when in the very beginning it was free but when we started charging fees the attendance increase got better so that's the only reason i try to charge money so the kids say, oh, I'm paying, so I should go. And their parents encourage them more to go. So we do charge a little bit. It doesn't even cover the school lunch that we feed them, but it still gives them some ownership of their education. When they get out of our school and go from 9th to 12, we have a sponsorship program for those kids so they can continue to go. And then we take a little bit more money also from them, partly because you know, I think parents should realize if they have kids and they want them to go to high school, they should pay something. It's still not too much. The whole year, 2400 I don't know, it's about 30 or $40 they're paying over the year. What inspires you most about this work? What comes to mind? Well, ever since I was really little, I have an inbuilt compassion. That's just my mom has told me stories from when I was little show me that I've always been deeply touched and or maybe you can even say have a pain when I see poor people, for example, or any anyone who's not received some kind of social justice. What we were talking about earlier about following my term and being in this place where I feel like I fit, that keeps me going for sure. Because even on the days when it's hard, I still know that I, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So that motivates me, certainly. And also just the change. When I see change in students, when I see 
either it can be character change, you know, a student's behavior, or whether I see that they're really taking advantage of the academics and, you know, making a future for themselves. Those are the motivators right there. And what advice would you have? Because I, I find that a lot of people are asking always, like, what is my Dharma? What is my path? How do I find it? Uh-huh. How would you, like, what would you <laughs> who's trying to figure that out for themselves? I kind of stumbled into it. You know? I, yeah, I stumbled into it. I'm a person of faith. I have a faith and I, you know, I had a Christian upbringing and I would still call myself a Christian, although I hesitate to put myself in that camp, but with all the, what's going on in U.S. now, like I definitely don't identify with uh, those evangelical Christians and whatnot, but that faith in God and uh, just trying to keep my ears open to that, you know, like I believe that I was created here and someone like God or power cares for me and will help me along life's path. And so like just being open to that and just going day by day. Like me, I had, you can say, oh, I was off target when I was in college. You know, I didn't get my degree in education. I got it in linguistics. It's okay. And I kind of ended up in India because of my husband. And then I just ended up hearing about this opportunity because the woman who started the school left. But then I did end up in the right place. So I don't have any very good advice or telling people how to figure it out because I just kept going. I kept doing what I thought I should be doing. And I was raising my kids. I was doing this. I was doing that. But when it came in front of me, I saw it right away. I recognized, yeah, I would like to do that. And then got into it. So maybe stepping in and seeing if it works. Like sometimes people are afraid to like take the, the leap of faith move forward in something so maybe just do it just try it that's kind of what I hear you well I didn't even have to think about it it was something that appealed to me I don't think your term is going to be anything that you're going to be suffering through life it's it's going to be along your passion lines if something looks attractive to you then that might be it so yeah try it like you said but I wouldn't say to force yourself into something that's not you know not feeling good that you're not happy about so tell me, Connie, what keeps you grounded? So we're in this pandemic. Do you have any practices or routines or things? That- yeah, I've actually, a couple of years ago, I, after being in Varanasi with all this yoga going around, but I never got into it <laughs> until a couple of years ago, not this year. I'd already been to it. So yoga has like kind of been a game changer for me. So I do that every day and uh, I do some meditation every day, but just the the grounding in faith and kind of a connection with the divine along with yoga for just my physical body, but it's helped in more than physical ways, physical and mental. And just the the knowledge like that, yes, I am following that path. That that's an anchor for me. Yeah, I really see it. You know, that's why I wanted you to be one of my first interviews on the podcast. Cause oh <laughs> that I know, you know, who, who live this way, you know, because it's, mm. it's a thing to witness when somebody is in their Dharma, you just know, you don't even, it's just like you see them and you see the, the aura they have, you know, about, Oh, and so 
I started this a little bit back and I'm going to stick it in here. I'm going to back up a little bit because I wasn't always like this. When I first came to Varanasi, I was a very goal-oriented type person. I was a list person. And uh, I got this from my parents of just like knowing in a day that, okay, I'm gonna, I have my checklist. I'm going to get this and this and this done. The first few years were so frustrating for me. I can't tell you, like just nothing goes the way that you expect or want. Uh, you know, just time and time again, feeling frustrated, feeling angry, because you're kind of depending on other people for a lot of the work. So it just wasn't working. And you try to make a cake and the power would go out. You know, like it was just all one thing after another. So frustrated. And I also had some life frustrations in the middle there. I finally just realized that, look, the way I'm trying to do this isn't working. I used to be like very like controlling and also quite worrying. I worried a lot. So that's my old person. But it was really on a day I can point to the day when I just realized that that wasn't working. I just gave it up. And for me, that was a prayer. And I just said, okay, fine. I'm not going to do this anymore. Whatever you put in front of me, I'm going to accept it. I'm just going to accept it and understand that, okay, even though I didn't want this problem or I didn't want this person to come or I didn't, whatever, I'm just going to accept it that that's what you have for me today. And I'll just deal with it the best I can. And that was the change right there. It was really like sudden. I just changed my whole attitude of living the life. So from being a, you know, list and control and all that, I went to more of a flow and just, you know, whatever comes, I'll deal with it. If, what I thought I wanted to get done, it doesn't get done, it's fine. It wasn't supposed to get done. Like, I'll just do this now. So it totally changed my whole attitude. I'm much calmer and, and happier. So beautiful. So your list just went out the window. It doesn't matter anymore. Or- well, no, no, I wouldn't say it went out the window. Of course, when I wake up, I still kind of think, okay, oh, I have to attend to, you know, I heard about this problem with this kid or I, you know, oh, I have to remember to get these textbooks or whatever, you know, I have, obviously I have a kind of a plan, but what changed was that if the plan doesn't work somehow, I actually write it at that moment when the plan doesn't work for whatever reason, there's something, there was a hiccup. That's right. Then when I realized, Oh, I have to listen right now, I have to listen. Okay. What, what am I supposed to be doing right now? It just means a willingness to to ditch the list. Not that I don't have one. I love that. That's so helpful. I think people will find that so helpful too, just to stop and listen when things aren't working out. Mm. What I found too is India will teach you that lesson over and over again until you get it. <laughs> yeah, I was here several years before I got it, but it it's made a huge difference in making that change in attitude. Just like living in a, in a faith and a trust, like everything's going all right. It's going all right. I know you got some funding to build your school. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like to Yeah, so we've been renting since 2004. We've been renting a building. It was actually a year and a half ago I first heard about it. But just last month, we actually finally got the money in our account. We had one quite large bequest that was given, given to us from a woman who had visited the school many, many years ago. A fairly young woman died of cancer. 
I was shocked. I had no idea that she had named us in her will, but she had. And we ended up with quite a large gift. And when I told a few other people about that, some other gifts were added. So suddenly we have money to build our own building. So this is kind of the next step forward. I've been spending some time during this pandemic to look around at communities that may be needy or and land trying to figure out where would be the best place to have a permanent pool. Anyway, in this coming year, hopefully we'll start building our own schools. That's pretty exciting. Beautiful. So I want to ask you some kind of rapid fire questions here to finish up. And then we'll talk about how people can get involved if they want to, you know, donate or find out more. So Mm -hmm. do you ask you some kind of rapid fires here? Okay. One piece of advice that has really helped you in your life. I guess it would be that what I just said, that try to go with the flow, just relax a bit into life and go with the flow. So what does the phrase living, living in your purpose mean to you? I know we kind of talked about this, but what do you think of? Well, it comes from understanding yourself a bit, like what are your skills, what are your strengths, and what are the things that make you happy? Like trying to figure that out and then trying to get in a place that utilizes all that. So, and I don't know, I haven't thought about this so much for other people, but maybe you can generalize it. For me, I think purpose has to be helping other people. But I don't know if that's true. I have to think about it a little bit more. But definitely, I think, at least for me, purpose has to do with like lifting up other people. So if you feel anxious or confused or frustrated at any time, what is the first thing you do? To kind of reorient yourself. Uh, just stop. Just take a breath. I, I actually, I don't spend a lot of time sitting down and trying to think of solutions. I think about the situation and then I move on to other stuff. It can be washing the dishes or whatever, but my mind is processing and suddenly a, like a solution or an idea will come to me. What's your favorite hot beverage? Are you a chai person? Hot beverage? Yeah, chai. And what would be on earth if you had one meal? I might like cheesecake. I haven't had that for many years. I really like it. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I I normally don't eat like that. I'm vegetarian. I, I would love just a great, a great, mixed vegetable with salad. I love vegetables. So yeah, I'm not real picky about the food. Beautiful. And we kind of talked about this too, but so you have a morning routine. What, what part of it is like non-negotiable? Do you wake up and you just do? Lately, I've been waking up, doing the dishes from yesterday, doing my yoga. I read my Bible a little bit. I do meditation. And then I get on making my breakfast. That's the start of Every morning. So tell me about one person that is inspiring you right now. You know, it's kind of backwards, but what really inspires me is the kids. And when I see the kids that coming, a lot of them coming from, you know, really difficult backgrounds, extremely difficult backgrounds, but still being happy. And especially the ones who are really you know, working hard and studying, and I can see that they're going to have a better future. That's my inspiration. Yeah, 
I mean, I've seen those kids, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you just <laughs> hang out there all day because it's such a good feeling to be there at the school. There's something people might not know about you. I have a pretty boring backstory. Sometimes I feel like people don't really know, especially here. People are not very good listeners here. So I feel like people don't really know my background. But then it's not that interesting, really. I had great parents and a really solid upbringing. Maybe they don't realize, you know, maybe they don't realize like how much of a kid I feel like inside. That's probably be my answer because they see me as the principal of the school. I'm highly respected here and whatnot. But actually, I just love to have fun and play. So is there a book that you're reading right now that you're excited about? The last one I read that I did get excited about, and let's see, what's his name? Carlos Ayer. It's, uh, this is just random. But it's the most recent one he wrote about. His, it's called Waiting for Snow in Havana. And it's about his childhood at the time of the Cuban Re- Revolution. But the writing is beautiful. I really enjoyed it. And I also want, learned a little bit about the history of that time. So that's the most recent one that caught me. Okay. So tell us how people can get involved with Ashadeep or learn more about what you do. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we have our website, ashadeep.com. And if they, if anybody's really interested in just kind of keeping in touch with the school, I have periodic newsletter that I send out. And, well, you know, they can get on the list if they want. Donations are always welcome. We need money to keep the school going. But I'm always super excited when we have any visitors or volunteers. And I've had all kinds of different volunteers of different lengths of time doing all kinds of different projects. So if anybody's coming to Benares, you know, definitely they should come to the school and visit me if they want to just spend one afternoon playing games with the kids. You know, that's great. Or if they're going to be here for a couple of weeks, they could maybe help do crafts or help teach photography. I, I really try to work with volunteers to figure out what, what would they like to do what are their skills and and I've had volunteers from those short short term ones all the way up to 2 years so volunteering is another way well hopefully that they'll the school will be up and running again soon and that people can be there and <laughs> cuz right now there's no travel all of us who've spent yeah. a lot back and forth we've been really not going back and forth <laughs> Hopefully with the vaccines, it'll open up again. Well, thank you so much for your time, Connie. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Sure, Paula. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Bye. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantuladesma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. 